Please rise for the reading of God's word. Our lesson this morning is taken from the Gospel according to Luke, chapter 1, beginning in verse 5. Gospel according to Luke, hear now the word of our God. In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abiah. And he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But they had no child, because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years. Now, while he was serving as priest before God, when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside of the hour of incense. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord, standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great before the Lord. And he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah, to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children, and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. And Zechariah said to the angel, How shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. And the angel answered him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. And the people were waiting for Zechariah, and they were wondering at his delay in the temple. And when he came out, he was unable to speak to them, and they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple, and he kept making signs to them and remained mute. And when his time of service was ended, he went to his home. After these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived, and for five months she kept herself hidden, saying, Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among people. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Ryan. Today we begin a four-part Advent series looking at the messages that angels proclaimed around the first coming of Jesus Christ. Advent is the first season of the church year, and it begins uh, today with the fourth Sunday before Christmas. Now, I think probably some of you know nothing about the church calendar, and some of you know a lot. Some people would say that uh, proclamation is a liturgical church, that there is an obvious order and structure to our worship services each Sunday. And some would refer to the church calendar as a liturgical calendar. 
It's an annual schedule with structure, with order, to commemorate certain days and seasons related to the history of salvation. And we have written evidence of its practice as early as uh, the 4th century in the church. So for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years, God's people have been guided by the church calendar. Now having said that, proclamation is also known as a reformed church. And during the Protestant Reformation in the early 16th century, many of the reformers moved away from uh, what we might say is a strict observance of the church calendar, but they kept certain parts of it, some of the feast days. And in doing so, they wanted to make sure that in remembering any of these days, the emphasis was not so much on what we do to earn God's favor or to earn our salvation, but instead to focus on what Christ has done to accomplish our salvation. So the remembrance or the celebration of the incarnation of Jesus Christ at Christmas time, or the death of Christ uh, on Good Friday, or the resurrection of Christ on Easter Sunday, or the ascension of Christ on Ascension Day, or the giving of the Spirit of Christ at the time of Pentecost. These were all seen as times to rejoice in Christ and in his gospel, to celebrate what Jesus has accomplished for us in our salvation. Now, I imagine there are some of you here who would wish that we would follow the church calendar more closely and others of you who would want us to not follow it at all. And we view this as one of those open-hand issues, that it is left to the freedom of the conscience of each believer, that people of godly character will differ on this matter. And you could say that our practice as a church reflects this, because some, some years we'll have an Advent series and some years we won't. And I imagine that drives some of you crazy. I apologize. And some of you, you don't even notice. But this year, we're going to have a short Advent series. Why? Let me just give you a few quick reasons. First of all, it gives us a chance to have a short break from our study through the book of Romans. And that has been a long study. Uh, I trust it's been a fruitful and good study. But I think it's helpful always just to take a little break, almost like a breather. And then we'll come back to it. And some of that is selfish. It gives me a few extra weeks to study and prepare for Romans 13. So you can be praying for that. So that's also part of it. But I also think at times, again, maybe not every year, but certainly at times, it's helpful to take, it, take advantage of this time of year to focus our thoughts, to focus our worship. And I just want to encourage you that if you're not a church calendar person, that's okay. We still encourage you and invite you to worship with us our worship service won't really look any different. It should look the same to you, the same order, the same elements. We're, we're just sort of turning to a different portion of God's word, but we're still aiming to preach the word of God each Sunday as well. So you still can hopefully be encouraged and enjoy that. But I also hope that this particular series, as we reflect on the messages of the angels, will help us in a particular way. That it will help us eagerly wait for the second coming of Christ, and that it will be used by God to build you up in holiness and comfort, and both of those as you wait. You may know the word Advent is derived from a Latin word for coming or arrival. It's a time to remember, to celebrate the first coming of our Savior Jesus Christ in humility, 
while we also prepare for his second coming and power and glory. Prior to the arrival or the coming of something, we have the anticipation of that coming. Or we have the waiting. To live as a follower of Christ, to live as a Christian, it does require that you learn to wait. It requires that virtue of patience, which can be very hard for us. But we know in the Old Testament, God's people were waiting. They were waiting for the first coming of Jesus. And then from the New Testament on, God's people wait again. They are waiting for the second coming of Jesus. So beloved, as we begin the series, I want you to consider this. Your brothers and sisters in the faith, your fathers, your mothers in the faith in the Old Testament, they were waiting for the coming of Jesus. And there came a time when their wait ended. Their faith became sight. And if they were here in person with us right now, they are with us. We, we join them in worship each Sunday. But if you could see them, if you could talk to them, they would look at you with a big smile on their face and they would say, brother, sister, it's worth the wait. It's worth the wait. So too, for you, you are currently waiting and the time will come when your wait, like theirs, will end. Your faith will become sight. Beloved, it's only a matter of time. And when your wait ends, either when Jesus comes again or when he comes to take you home to be with him, one of the blessings that Jesus will bring and that only Jesus can bring will be the end of all your disgrace. The end of all your disgrace. Here in Luke chapter 1, Gabriel the angel comes with a message from God for Zechariah. And Zechariah has been waiting. He's been waiting for the coming of the Messiah, for the first coming of Jesus, and his wait is about to end. His wife Elizabeth, who has been barren, she has been waiting. And she is going to experience a miraculous birth. And she closes this section by saying this. Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach or my disgrace among people. And beloved, that's the main message that I pray God will make clear to you today to build you up in both holiness and comfort. A lesson that we see in this passage that Jesus is indeed the Lord our God. And for all those who trust in him, he has come and he is coming to take away all your disgrace. Jesus is the Lord our God. And if you are trusting in him, you can know he has come. He is coming to take away all your disgrace. Now, I just want to look at that, that main point a phrase at a time. So first, Jesus is the Lord our God. How do we know that from this passage in Luke chapter 1? Well, look at verse 19. The angel says to Zechariah, I am Gabriel, I stand in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. Gabriel is a supernatural being. He has been sent by God to deliver this message to Zechariah. 
And in this message, he is speaking about what Zechariah's son, John the Baptist, will do. And he says in verse 16, he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. In verse 17, he says, and he will go before him. So John the Baptist will go before him. Before who? Who's the him? That pronoun is pointing back to the Lord, their God. So who did John go before? He went before Jesus. The angel Gabriel, sent by God to speak this news, says that John will go before the Lord, our God. And the Gospels record John going before Jesus. So it is clear that Jesus is the Lord, our God. John going before Jesus points to Jesus as the Lord, our God, in another way as well. Because it helps us see that, that all of creation, that all of life centers around Jesus. In the ancient Near East, the setting, the time for, for the history that we read in the Bible, kings would always send someone ahead of them to prepare the road and to prepare the people for the royal entry. And that's exactly what we have here. Jesus, the true king, sending John the Baptist ahead as a forerunner, the one who would prepare the people for his coming. This is an amazing story that Ryan read for us in Luke chapter one. But you think about the people in it, Zechariah, Elizabeth, John the Baptist, even this angel Gabriel. They are only bit players, we could say. They're, They're not the lead. Yes, Jesus knows them. He cares for individuals. He loves them. But they serve to bring him glory, not the other way around. Why? Because he is the Lord, our God. Beloved, you were made to bring glory to Jesus. This is the aim of your life, that Jesus would increase and you would decrease. That Jesus would become greater and you would become lesser. That Jesus, the Lord your God, would be glorified in your life. Jesus is the Lord our God. And for those who trust in him, he has come. He is coming. To take away all your disgrace. Let's look at that next phrase now. For those who trust in him. When the angel Gabriel describes the ministry of Zechariah's son, John the Baptist. He says in verse 16. He will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go before him. He'll go before Jesus. In the spirit and the power of Elijah. To turn the hearts of the fathers to the children. And the disobedient of the wisdom to the just. To make ready for the Lord a people prepared. So God is going to work through John the Baptist to prepare people for the coming of Jesus. To make ready for the Lord a people prepared. Now how? How does he do this? Gabriel says he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. This is an echo of the word of the Lord to Jeremiah, the prophet in the Old Testament. 
In Jeremiah 24, the word of the Lord comes to Jeremiah and he says, I will give them, he'll give his people a heart to know that I am the Lord. And they shall be my people and I will be their God for they shall return to me with all their heart. So the first way to be prepared is to know that Jesus is the Lord. It is to believe the truth about Jesus that has been revealed to us in the very word of God. Being prepared also involves turning to the Lord. And this is the language of repentance. It's, the, it's believing the truth about Jesus in such a way that it leads you to turn away from your sin. Turn the heart of the disobedient to the wisdom of the just. It's to acknowledge that your disobedience to God, what the Bible calls sin, this brings your just condemnation, the just punishment of the holy God. It is to acknowledge your guilt, that you can honestly, you can sincerely, you can humbly say, I am guilty. I am a sinner. And it is to acknowledge what that guilt deserves, the wrath of God. And it is to turn from your sin. In essence, to say to the holy God, I want to stop grieving you, my maker, my father, and I want to start loving your son. To turn from sin unto Jesus. It's to ask God to forgive you, not based on what you have done, not any kind of penance that you may do, anything that you may say, but it's to ask God to forgive you based on what Jesus has done, based on what the message John would proclaim and Jesus would fulfill, that Jesus is indeed the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. It's to know and believe that Jesus is the one who bore the punishment that you deserved for your sins in his own body on the cross so that when you trust in him, beloved, all your sins are forgiven and you are made new. So those words you hear every Sunday aren't just words. Don't let it just be rote repetition, beloved. You are free from the guilt and power of sin and death. This is true in your life because of Jesus. So do you believe that Jesus is the Lord your God? That salvation and forgiveness of your sins is found in no one else. And have you turned to Jesus in repentance and faith? You know, this, this trust in Jesus that we speak of, this faith, it is a supernatural work of the Holy Spirit. It is a gift of God that he gives to us. But even if God has granted you this gift of faith, it can still be a struggle an ongoing battle with doubt, with unbelief. You know, sometimes the pains and the problems of our lives, what we might call our shame or our disgrace or our reproach, it can make it hard for us to believe God. It can make it hard for us to trust him. And we see that in Zechariah. You know, Luke begins this account by saying that Zechariah is righteous before God. He is blameless. But then what happens? How does Zechariah respond to this message that God sent to him by an angel? 
a supernatural being comes, Gabriel says, you're going to have a son. And Zacharias says, how? How can I know this? I'm an old man. My wife is advanced in years. And that was true. Think about it. They were too old to have children. Try to think about their situation. You can imagine what it's like. Some of you might be going through this yourself right now. But you can imagine what it might be like. Over the years, they went from, we got married. We want to have a child. They're trying to have a child. They are praying for a child. And then maybe it shifts to, we might not have a child. And they're wrestling through the grief of that. And then finally, it comes to, we won't have a child. It's too late. We will not have any children. That was a painful process for them. And now, Zechariah is being told, you will have a son. And he might be thinking, well, it's a little late now. I've been praying for years. That window has closed. So it was hard for him to believe. Now, don't just, we, we, we ought to be cautious to be too harsh on Zechariah. Because he had to believe that somehow God could make what was humanly impossible, possible. And that's exactly what God did. But God was gracious to him. God was graciously giving Zechariah every reason to believe. God was feeding his faith. He was feeding his faith, we could say, through the liturgy, the rhythms, the ceremonies of gathered worship. Think about when this happens, when this message comes. God had ordained that Zechariah was the priest chosen by Lot to be the one in the temple to burn incense on the altar. This is a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. There are thousands of priests. So Zechariah may never have gotten this chance, but the lot fell to him. And once it fell to you, you could only serve in this way one time. So during this time, when God's people are recognizing their need for cleansing from sin, they're praying, they're offering the sacrifice, during this time, when the people are praying for the redemption of Israel, they are praying for the Messiah to come. God sends his supernatural messenger, Gabriel, to speak to Zechariah, and he says to Zechariah, your prayer has been heard. What prayer? I think it's a double meaning. I think it's both for a son for him and Elizabeth, but it's also a prayer for God's son, for the Messiah to come. And listen, God has worked miraculous births like this in the past, and Zechariah knows it. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, his fathers in the faith, they all had gone through this same thing before. Husbands with wives who were barren. And they prayed, and they wept for children to be born, and they waited, and they waited, and they waited, and the Lord came through with provision. Zechariah knows this. And beloved, we know it too. We're waiting for the second coming of Christ. And that faith may be hard. Your patience may be tried. But if we say, hey, Zechariah, he should have known this. We know it too. We have a fuller revelation than Zechariah had. Let's not forget that. Zechariah did not immediately respond with faith. Even though he's seen this movie before many times. He should know how it ends. It was wrong for Zechariah to not believe this word from the Lord. It was a sin for him to not believe. And he receives a rebuke for it. 
He receives the Lord's discipline. But it was a gracious rebuke. Yes, Zechariah was unable to speak. But the promise given to him was still fulfilled. John the Baptist was still born. They still had a child. He still came to them. So, so his unbelief, the unbelief of his father, did not void the plan or the promise of God. And beloved, the, the, the circumstances, the consequences that Zechariah had, they were temporary. He was only mute until the birth of the child. Beloved, God calls us to believe. To believe the truth about Jesus. To receive and rest upon him alone for salvation. To trust him. To believe his word, even in the face of humanly impossible odds. It may help us to to know that all of us, I believe all of us, every one of us here, every child of God here, every child of God throughout the history of his people, we are a mixture of belief and unbelief. You know, if if we believed perfectly, we would never sin. But beloved, you do not have to be, you don't have to believe perfectly to be saved or to be counted blameless before the Lord. Zachariah and Elizabeth were called blameless. Blameless does not mean without sin here. It doesn't mean without guilt or fault. It means genuine. It means sincere. It means that their faith was a true faith. A genuine faith. It was a true trust in the Lord. A trust in the Lord that at times would cause them to cry out, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. That is a common prayer for the child of God. It's not the perfection of your faith that saves you, that you never doubt or that you never struggle with disbelief. It is the perfection of your Savior, Jesus Christ, that guarantees your salvation. He is your true and your only hope and refuge. Beloved, Jesus never sinned. Jesus never doubted. Jesus will never be unfaithful and he will never let you go. Beloved, this Jesus is worthy of your trust. When you trust in him, you will not be put to shame. Jesus is the Lord our God. For those who trust in him, he has come, he is coming to take away all your disgrace. Now let's close by focusing on that last phrase. For those who trust in Jesus, he has come. He is coming to take away all your disgrace. We are all marked in some way by what Elizabeth calls reproach or disgrace. And this disgrace, this reproach, it it can come to us in different ways. It can come as a result of our own sin. So right now, you may personally have pain or sorrow or heartache or shame or embarrassment in your life because of something that you have done that dishonors God. And the reality, the truth is, we all have this at times to one degree or another. Why? Because we all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Even those who have been forgiven and cleansed of all their sin and been granted the gift of saving faith in Jesus Christ from God the Father, we still make shameful choices. We still bring disgrace upon ourselves, reproach. 
So it can come as a result of our own personal sin. But disgrace and reproach can also come to us as a result of suffering. And this can be through the suffering that's common to everyone. Simply the result of living in a world now, since the fall in Genesis chapter 3, a world now that is, that is broken, that is fallen, that is suffering the consequences of sin in the world. So that suffering, that reproach can come to us not as a direct result of personal sin, but simply living in a world that's broken by sin. But reproach can also come to us as a result of suffering that is the direct result of someone else's personal sin against you. One all too common form of that today is abuse. Sinful abuse that brings shame on those who suffer. That's one common way. It's not the only way. I think Elizabeth was suffering reproach in both of these ways. She was barren. She was unable to have children. This was not due to her personal sin. It was due to the plan of God and what he was going to do. It was not due to her personal sin, but it brought suffering into her life. Sorrow, loss, grief, reproach. And this was compounded by the fact that in those days, it still happens today, but in particular, in those days, people saw barrenness as a sign of God's punishment for your sin. And so this made her suffering worse because of the way she was mistreated by other people. Very likely, people sinned against her by blaming her for this barrenness. She saw the looks. She heard the whispers. She knew what people thought and what they said. And it brought, brought reproach upon her. So when she's pregnant with this child, this gift from the Lord, she gives glory to God. The Lord has taken away my reproach. The Lord took away Elizabeth's reproach. What will you do with yours? What will you do with yours? Think about the disgrace, the reproach, the shame that may be a part of your life right now. How are you dealing with it? What are you doing with it? Is there any way to be re rid from it? Is there any way to be healed from it? What will you do with all this pain, all this suffering, your reproach, your disgrace? You need hope. You need rescue. You need deliverance. You need healing. You need peace. And beloved, the almighty God sent his son into the world to take it from you. To make all things new. To make everything sad in your life come untrue. We think of it, right? Bearing shame and scoffing rude in my place, condemned he stood, sealed my pardon with his blood. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. What a savior. The Lord took away Elizabeth's reproach, not only in the birth of her son, John the Baptist, but even more so in the birth of her savior, Jesus Christ. You see, it was not just the reproach of her suffering that needed relief, that needed to be taken away. It was the reproach of her sin. And so Jesus did in his first coming through his life and his death and his resurrection, all that was necessary 
for your sin to be forgiven. For this disgrace to be taken from you. For you to be made whole. For all your guilt and shame to be taken away. For those who trust in Jesus, he has already taken away your disgrace. You are free from the guilt and power of sin and death. And now you wait. You wait. As God's people of old waited and waited. You wait for Jesus' promised second coming. When he will free you from all disgrace. He will free you from the very presence of sin in your life. Gone forever. He will free you from the grief and disgrace you may feel and sense from sin and the lives of others. Whether it's those you love and you pray for or those who are sinning against you. He will free you from all that disgrace and he will free you from the effects of sin in the world. It will all be gone forever. So we wait. We wait for Jesus' second coming when he will come. Not in humility as he did once before, but in power and in glory when all the effects of evil and wrong will be conquered because the king has come again and he has brought his kingdom in all its fullness. Amen? Amen. In a moment, we will sing, O come, O come, Emmanuel. Now, why will we sing that? He's already come, you may say. Yes and amen. So as we sing that song, we are singing, recognizing what we are Singing about has happened. Jesus has come. So we rejoice in that. We celebrate in that. But we also sing with deep longing for him to come again. To come to once and for all close that path to misery. Forever. And bring us into the glory of his presence. I want to close with this promise from the word of God. And if I can be so bold as to say like Gabriel said. I have been sent by God with this message of good news from him to give to you today. Hebrews chapter 9. Beloved, just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after this comes judgment, so Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time. Christ will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. Beloved, your Savior, Jesus Christ, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, he is coming again to save you. And this salvation will include taking away all of your disgrace. Are you eagerly waiting for him? Amen. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. Amen. Let us pray.